Drew and Jonathan Scott here to tell you that American Family Insurance wants to protect your dreams. So whether you're at home singing in the shower, every note, or prefer singing your heart out in the car like Drew, cruising, you can save up to 23% when you bundle your home and auto insurance with American Family Insurance. Get a quote or find an agent at amfam.com. Insure carefully, dream fearlessly. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Gorgeous gaming, stunning streams, unbelievable bandwidth. It's another Lifestyles of Gagillionaires. Meet the AT&T Fiber customers winning at life with hyper gig speeds. Meet Gagillionaire Terry. While his love of streaming horror movies has him constantly on the edge of his seat, his internet bill won't give him a scare. Oh, don't go in there. I'm telling you. Because since Terry upgraded to AT&T Fiber with hyper gig speeds, he doesn't worry about data caps or equipment fees. Come on, man. The door's open for a reason. And best yet, he also doesn't stress about a price increase at 12 months. Because with the amazing Gagillionaire lifestyle comes an exquisite sense of tranquility. <laughs> Most of the time. Live like a Gagillionaire. Get straightforward pricing with AT&T Fiber. Internet that upgrades everything. No data caps, no equipment fees, and no price increase at 12 months. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Ready for the interview, and if you get a cue, live on the laptop, watch what I'm gonna do. Welcome to the show, let them know we got a point of view. Hey, yo, let's have a combo. Say what you feel, be real, that's the motto. Real talk, pronto, Dr. D, PhD, hit the intro. Hold up, wait, gotta be social, network, global, a home for the locals. Gotta be social, network, global, a home for the locals. Uh, we are back again, Scott. I mean, you look great. How's it going? Well, it's been a rough semester, but um, we made it and had a lot of joyful moments with my students and a lot of breakthrough moments. So I think it was all well worth it. Um, but we're uh, we're hanging in there. How about you? Uh, it's been pretty good. Yeah, I'm in a pretty remote area of the world, so it's kind of it's been pretty peaceful. Um, but it's been really a lot of rain and flooding and stuff. So it's been a little crazy. Yeah. Are you in the Northwest or where I are am. you at? I okay. am. I'm right in, uh, in Washington state, uh, right on the border of Canada, which got hit really hard with all the massive flooding. Right. This way with the site, with the uh, atmospheric rivers, all that stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I had a couple of friends up that way or a couple of colleagues and, and they finally sent an email out and they said, we've been offline for, three months, three weeks or something like that. So yeah, yeah. It's been crazy. Yeah. But uh, I mean, overall, though, it's, it's been really good and heading into the holidays. So a um, lot to be thankful for. I feel like enjoy the stuff that I have. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know? So, you know, when you contacted me about chatting, we were talking about the, the, the topic of deep fakes is very, very interesting to me because it's scary to me. Um, right. So I want to jump in and your interest in it and how you came to have this interest in it. Well, uh, last time I was on, we talked a lot about AI and I know yes. you and your listeners are pretty familiar with that topic and machine learning. And I think that's one of the areas where we can say that the technology is almost neutral, mm -hmm. right? So it, it kind of, here's all this great stuff we can do in medicine with AI. 
oh, here's this, all this bad stuff that Facebook does to manipulate our brains and our dopamine levels. So we can kind of see that, you know, this is something that uh, is kind of like a knife. It can be used to slice bread and it can be used to, uh, you know, hurt somebody. Yeah. So it's uh, in some ways, a lot of those examples, we have, you know, something on both sides. Well, deep fakes are an application of AI where I think the majority of the applications are really bad. Yeah. Um, and uh, while there are some interesting applications, for example, there's something called Descript where great podcasters like yourself can use it to edit your audio. So if you happen to make a mistake, I know that you would never do that on your podcast, (laughs) but let's say that you said, um, join me next Thursday. And what you really meant was join me next Tuesday. Well, you could go in and you could edit that in text and it would actually edit your audio track. Wow. So it would sound like you. So that's kind of cool. And we start to see this being used in different applications as far as movies and um, dubbing of movies and, and things like that that are more effective. But really, the majority of this is being used in some really nefarious ways. Mm. One of the ways is to use these deep fakes to deep fake a person's voice to make an impersonation of them and to commit financial fraud right so you've been out there with your podcast there's probably enough audio out there where i could train an ai so that whatever i typed into a script this ai would generate a voice that sounded just like you right well now i use that to call one of your family members and say hey I'm, I'm I'm up here, up here. What just happened? I don't know what's going on. I really need some money right now. Can you please wire it to me at this address? Yeah. Or I I just got arrested. I don't know what's going on. The cops say I killed somebody. Um, you need to talk to these people and and they'll help me out. Okay, you got a sense of urgency. Very short amount of time. I just need a little bit of audio. Then you transfer it to somebody like me, right? And then I'm going to say, oh well, you know, yeah, that's really bad, but we need a down payment to yeah. uh to get this done well that's one example at our the level that you and i might operate at there have actually been tens of millions of dollars scammed from bankers right so and, and from ceos who basically uh, it sounds like the ceo is calling and is asking you to transfer money wire transfer money to this other account and so that has happened there's been several reports in the wall street journal about this but uh, so that's one example of a really bad application yeah. of it but uh, the other example is what we call non-consensual pornography right oh. so uh, being a- a- actually able to take someone's image their face and put that on uh, the head of a pornographic actor or actress mm-hmm. and this is a crime this is a crime mainly against i i would say always against women Um, And it's used to intimidate them, to psychologically damage them. And even though we may know it's um, a deep fake, there is that kind of psychological damage that happens to people, especially, you know, and especially women in our society. And in some societies, this is being used to intimidate women journalists. 
Okay, so in the Middle East and Muslim countries, there's actually been some uh, instances where a journalist, a female journalist, um, was uh, had this type of non-consensual pornography created of her, and um, is an intimidation because she's investigating somebody, right? And and um, so a very dangerous situation, um, and you know it's it's just very scary and so i just knew that you had a good audience and a sharp yeah. audience and one that cares about uh their communities and i kind of wanted to talk just a little bit about these deep fakes and make sure that folks are more aware of them yeah i think i've known about deep fakes for a while not on the level that you know you have a much more in-depth i'm like whoa this is going deep <laughs> but i saw a special on it I think it was through the New York Times, they had like a, a documentary style show. And it was all about deep fakes. And they were talking to these tech guys that cr they're creating it and the dangers of it. But I wonder also, you talk the criminal nature of it. Do we have the proper or do we need a separate division of security just for this type of crime? Well, that's very interesting because once again, technology has kind of gotten ahead of policy or regulation. Right. So even for actors that may have their likeness used by a computer to generate an image of them being in a movie yeah. that they aren't actually in. Well, do the actors have, what rights do they have to protect their image? Because when they sign a modeling release when they actually do a film well does that give the right to the producers the directors of that film to then take that likeness and use it in another film mm. and so there's a lot of issues there do you have the copyright to your face huh. there's lots of videos of me teaching on canvas right do i want the university of missouri to be teaching uh have me teaching my courses via a deep fake ai long after i'm dead whoa <laughs> no. so uh what kind of uh, uh protections do i have from that and it's not really clear at this time doesn't so. that feel like most of the internet it seems like is like we just did stuff and then didn't have the policy beforehand it's like right. well let's just see if this works let's create it but then there's unintended consequences that we don't examine because of lack of policy for it. Right, right. And I think until we have that policy and also until we have some technology to be able to verify that this is a genuine audio file, this is a genuine mm. video file, that we have to start protecting our families and especially the older members in our families that may be yeah. more likely to be victims of this type of crime. Yeah. You know, having a code word that you and your immediate family know uh, that you can share if there were was an incidence where you had an accident or something like that yeah and uh, that you know what that code word is and uh are able to describe that so that uh, you aren't having your grandma or grandpa falling victim to this right. type of scam why do you think most of it's been negative in nature so far um well i think there's a couple of things one is we believe what we see and hear as humans mm -hmm. 
So there's some trust that goes along. If I can see you saying something, uh, I'm likely to trust it. You know, if you look me in the eyes and say something, I think there's a lot of cues that we have as human beings in our communication. And so uh, I think that's part of it. There's, um, you know, I think a, a lot of reasons why we uh, fall for these types of things. One is these scammers are pretty good, right? So they have the sense of urgency. They have a specific request. Um, there's a, you know, a time limit on it. Um, so there's, um, you know, there's lots of ways that they build this and, it, and it's built uh, to work, right? Yeah. Actually, I just watched a special last night on romance scams. And like, you know, Ugandan or Nigerian romance scams and how they impersonate, they get the pictures of real people and then they create these scripts and then generally older uh, people, especially women, end up giving, I think on average, like $10,000 to people, but there are cases of people giving millions of dollars. They think they're in love with somebody that's actually not real. Right. But what if you create, be able to create the actual video of this person? Most of the time it's just pictures. What if right. now it's like the video of the person you really think this person's talking to you, you know? Yeah. I could have a synthetic person that I could be talking with you and charming you and scamming you all via script. Yeah. And um, I could probably be running hundreds of these at the same time. They don't have to all work. Kind of like email phishing scams. Why do you get these old email phishing scams? Well, maybe one in a million works, but when you can send a couple million emails a second, you know, that's that's two a second that you're getting a couple hundred bucks out of. Yeah. So there's a reason why those things still exist. And it's unfortunate, and it's usually the people that are older and more vulnerable or or maybe are lonely or maybe depressed and they want to believe, right? We all want to be liked. Yeah. We, we all want to feel loved and we want to feel like we're desirable, right? So that's, yeah. that's another whole whole issue in our society is that desirability and that, that need to feel desired. Why don't we do more? Like you talked about the policy and catching up to it. Why does it feel like we're not doing more or corporations aren't doing more in the immediate term about it? Is it they just don't have the technology for for it to do more or what's the deal currently um so it's interesting facebook i i don't like facebook but um i will give them this that they have done a fairly good job of trying to identify these deep fakes okay. because they have a huge amount of them that get shared every day mm. so they're able to see the characteristics of these deep fakes flag them say okay deep fake videos using this technology have these characteristics let's pull those off okay. okay and so they've actually put some work behind that and are doing a fairly good job the problem is that when we get into these things like uh, these one-on-one -on -one type of scams right and i'm sure you're probably the same i don't answer any email or any uh, uh rather number that comes into my cell phone so unless it is somebody i know right, right. And, uh, you know, we need to build a phone network for the modern age, right? right. So that it's a, it's a verified 
uh, type of system. So there are some systems out there like blockchain, which has obviously been used in cryptocurrency, but it can be used in other ways yeah. that I could basically, uh, my call entry to Darren is going to go into a blockchain and I have to verify who I am before I make that call. And then you see that and say, okay, that's Scott. And uh, that gets verified. So, yeah. Wow. I mean, I feel like I'm hearing these things for the first time, literally. And I'm, and I'm up to date on a lot of this stuff. So imagine to a lot of people who don't know anything about right. this. That's what scares me. And then the idea of going into a more virtual reality-based existence, like Facebook pushing the metaverse and pushing all this stuff. How deep does that go when we start getting into that level of existence or reality for people? Yeah, I don't know. Um there was a platform called second life that was there about 12 15 years yeah. ago and that was very interesting a lot of people flocked to it a lot of companies went to it a lot of universities had entire campuses built in these in the second life system now we had a researcher here he was a um, uh, gentleman that studied African-American history, and he actually built the 1930s or 1920s Harlem in Second Life. And then he would teach his classes in this virtual reality system. Um, you used it from your computer, you didn't have a headset or anything, yeah. uh, but he had microphones and whatnot, and he could give tours of it, but it was something that was very useful, right? So that was a nice tool to use in his class. And so there's a lot of friction involved in logging in and using these systems and having an avatar and stuff. It's kind yeah. of cool at first, but then you're like, oh, this you know takes a lot of work. Um, but he had an interesting setup there where it was actually adding something to the class. He couldn't recreate that in, uh, in the classroom, right? Yeah. Uh, and so I think there's some applications that may be very good. For example, we might see things like um, one of our companies here in town is a company called Helium, and they are looking at how can you help people that have PTSD or have other stress-related issues, and they actually put a little brainwave monitor on you, and as well as the virtual reality glasses, and then it's uh, kind of almost like a meditation app, and, and you're, you're changing the world through yeah. your by getting calmer you're making more butterflies fly and you're getting to concentrate on those so there may be some quote-unquote killer apps in this area that are related to um healing um but boy i don't you know zoom is bad enough i don't want <laughs> i don't want to uh be uh, having metaverse calls you know yeah I, f I feel like it's uh you think that this current version of stuff is bad Mm -hmm. I'm like in bad for you. I think this just like this is gonna break your brain. Right. <laughs> like, like what happens when? I think this is kind of related to deep fakes. And what happens when something is indistinguishable from your reality? Right. What, what happens when? Because there's been lots of movies and things, and the the um the show Devs actually dives into that determinism and the whole thing. What happens when your reality is? indistinguishable from an alternate reality. How do humans process that? Right, and some humans don't process it well, right? So we've seen that with uh, some young males that get addicted to uh, gaming systems, yes. you know, they can actually kind of 
um, get themselves so fatigued and tired that they can uh, not uh, understand reality anymore. Um, I would say in some ways, some of the effects of Instagram on young girls has a, has a corollary there. Um, there was recently a study that came out that said that for every one picture that a young woman posts on Instagram, uh, there's like 150 that they don't post. So think about that self-talk. So, you know, this one's not good. I look too fat here. Oh, no, I don't like the way I look there. There's some other imperfection. This one's bad. You're doing that 150 times before you find something that's good. Okay, so uh, we talk about realities and virtual realities. But I think what we're also talking about is the reality in our mind. Right? So that reality of I don't look good. I am not worthy. Yeah. Um, that really disturbs me. And we've in fact seen, you know, increased uh, um, suicide and, and self-cutting rates in young uh, females, uh, self-harm rates. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's very disturbing. Now, you know, I, I don't want to get too uh, off topic here, but, you know, how do we measure the success of our country? Right. I think is another one that we have to consider. GDP is often what we look at. Right. Well, Facebook creates, Meta creates a lot of GDP, right? Well, lifespan is going down, especially right. for people in our age bracket. That's true. Okay. That seems like a more worthwhile indicator, especially as I get older, it seems <laughs> yeah. more worthwhile. Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a second. Starting to approach that line. Yeah. Um, you know, that may be, better indicator to look at suicide rate yeah self-harm rate we don't talk about that the way we talk about the stock market or s p yeah and so i think that's also uh where we need to as citizens kind of drive our focus to yeah when you and getting back to deep fakes a little bit what's the evolution of deep fakes beyond what we currently know i mean you mentioned things about i didn't have thought about this you're dead and you're still teaching. Right. What I mean, that blew my mind, by the way. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's it's like the digital ghost in the machine, you know, like what is the other future beyond that? Right. Well, um, it's not entirely theoretical. There was actually a case, I forget what university, but this professor had designed an entirely online asynchronous course and recorded all these videos, and then he died. And the university was like, well, um, let's just use his material this semester. Oh my God. <laughs> so about a week or two into it, oh. when the students were like, I tried emailing the guy, but I get a response that he's dead. Oh, this is crazy. <laughs> this is crazy. So they they were uh, they were supposed to email, you know, whoever's the instructor record, but they tried emailing the guy that they saw in the video and they sort of realized he was dead. And they're like, I'm not paying to be taught by some dead dude. That's crazy. But imagine if like they took his voice and the voice right. could respond to the emails or the messages like he was alive. Right. Yeah. Just just if you took all my responses to students over the past 10 years and fed them into an A.I., you could probably deal with most of the questions I deal with. 
<laughs> You're like, wait a minute, that could be a good thing. <laughs> yeah, wait a second. Maybe I can just automate my life here. <laughs> you know, you may, you're like somewhere else vacationing. You're like, no, the class is happening. I mean, I'm answering the stuff. <laughs> like, right, right. So, how does that um, go? That's like, where does it end? What is a future that has this in it that feels mostly negative? Right. Well, let me just hit on two things. One is how fast technology moves okay. and how fast it becomes democratized. And we think of that as generally being a good thing. You know, I've got this device here that probably has close to a million dollars worth of equipment that if I was to buy it in the 1990s, it would cost me a million dollars for the quality of the video camera, the fax machine that I have in here, the computer mm -hmm. I have in here, the fitness tracker I have in here. You know, it goes on and on and on. All the things have been condensed into this, you know, less than a thousand dollar phone. Well, um, you may have seen a deep fake that was done by Jordan Peele of Obama. And mm. this is about three and a half years ago. Okay. And that was one of the first viral deep fakes that went around. That took a team of about 30 people and about three weeks of computing time to crunch through and to do that video. And that video, as you look at it today, is not that great. There's right. artifacts in it. If you watch it over and over again, you'll see the colors are not right, right. on Obama's face. Well, if you haven't seen it already, you should Google deep fake Tom Cruise. Really? And you'll see a deep fake of Tom Cruise that was done with a cell phone and a computer they captured on a cell phone but uh, a computer done by one guy in 24 hours whoa okay so that's where we're getting to these problems right so now i could do the deep fake of darren parker um with off-the-shelf materials for very very cheap yeah. right and the reward might be great enough that I could, um, you know, scam some money from your family or something yeah. like that. So that's a big problem is, is this accelerating quality yeah. of the technology, as well as the democratization of that technology. And I don't have to be a programmer anymore to do that. I can that's run some scripts and all that kind of stuff. Well, the other thing is that once again, we need to put some things in place. So Adobe is actually looking at this as, as being able to have things where you can um, have your phone capture video, but it puts a kind of a electronic signature on that video. Okay. So you may have heard of NFTs, yes, right? Yes. So they're really popular right now um, with uh, art. Well, in some ways, it's going to make an NFT out of your video. And then we can track who that went to and whether they modified it. So it doesn't, an NFT doesn't have to be entirely unique. It's kind of like, a, well, you've probably bought a, a photo or something someplace, and it says one of 1,000, right? right? So you, right. Can, you can actually have it um, be like that type of art, that it's uh, multiple copies of it. But it's still authenticated. You know it came from Scott Christensen's phone at this right. time. And then if Darren takes that into his software and alters it, well, then that or there's a record of that too. Okay. Okay. And so we get to compare. I want to see the original and I want to see Darren's edits. Right. So if I if I've had any, any worries that this is a deep fake or something's been altered, uh, then I want to be able to see that original. So there are technologies coming out. It's just a matter of whether we will have a common technology that will work mm -hmm. across all systems, 
or whether we will kind of be balkanized. Like it works when you run Adobe products or it works on this blockchain or this yeah. blockchain. So um, there are technologies out there that are coming up rapidly, but um, uh, unfortunately it's gonna be a while before they are universal. Well, it feels like, how do you catch up though, if the pace of innovation always outpaces the pace of parameters or right. safeguards? How do you, it seems like technology is just constantly going crazier and crazier. Well, maybe we have to kind of flip the script, right? So right now we basically do not regulate technology in the way it is used or deployed. And, uh, or if we do regulate it, we do it after the fact. Yeah. Right. So we do it after the fact. We say, okay, well, this is not good. This is bad for people, or that uh, this is hurting commerce. So now we're going to put in some regulations. We don't see that a lot here in the U.S. Uh, maybe we will with the new head of the FTC, but um, the EU is doing that, right? So they're saying, oh, you have the right to be forgotten. Google cannot always point to these entries of you. You have yeah. the right to edit your personal information. And once again, that's regulation after the fact. Yeah. Well, we don't do that with uh, uh, foodstuffs, right? right? So I can't, you know, create Scott's magic el elixir <laughs> and I start selling it and I say, well, right. we'll just find out what happens. <laughs> yeah. And then if we need any regulations, yeah. <laughs> we'll deal with that. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. You know, let the market decide. We don't do that, right? And we're starting to understand that some of these technologies can have such a huge effect on our mental health. Yes. Um, you know, we need to start with a a priori assumption that uh, this product needs to prove uh, that it will not have these negative effects. Right. And the owner should be on the technology to say this is not going to have an owner's effect or that it has been tested. So um, I think we talked last time about the, the movie Coded Bias. Yeah, you know, that was one where it showed that uh, African-Americans were much more likely to be misidentified by facial recognition right. technology. Right. Right. And who is feeding the information type for identification? You know, for that. I also saw too that there may be some regulation on things like Instagram to like people to opt out of algorithms and right. recommendations. And I just started laughing. I was like, you mean like how it used to be? Like, <laughs> like be you know, before all this, like to go backwards and rethink, like, yeah, I don't want somebody telling me what I should be looking at essentially if I looked at something one time, you know? Right. And I find, you know, I'm pretty hopeful, actually, I don't want to come off as being negative. Yeah. I get pretty hopeful talking with my students, because when they look at this, when they start to understand this stuff, they don't want to be manipulated. They want to have charge of their life. They want to have that agency in their life. And so um, they're very skeptical of these big companies. And I think yeah. they ask good questions about what's being done with my data or why is this happening? So it feels like that. It feels like that a lot of students have that mindset or people who are younger, probably in the age bracket that you're teaching. But also feels like people our age are not as up to date, but that like they just fall into it very easily. They get scammed easily. They are on Facebook all the time or whatever meta and like the younger people are like, maybe you guys should like think about this. 
Like, yeah. We're not into this. It's a strange way of think, thinking about it. Yeah, I've noticed that a lot of my students shy away from places where they are publicly posting. Yeah. Because of the horror stories they've heard of. Mm -hmm. and, and so rightly so, they think, well, maybe I don't want to tweet this out there. Maybe I don't yeah. want to have uh, this out there. And what they do is a lot of Snapchat where they're just doing it with friends. Yeah. And so I think that's much healthier yes. than, um, like you said, our generation's on Facebook and, and hasn't really thought about the fact that it's not like a website. And maybe we're yeah. just naive because we were brought up with AOL and, and stuff <laughs> in the 90s. And, and it's just like, oh, this is just another website. And we don't really understand yeah. no, this is something new. This, is, this has been manipulated. Yeah, I, th I think you might be right about that. I mean, I think, I think about all the iterations of technology that I've experienced from like not having the internet essentially to having like email, never having email to having email to going on dial up, you know, <laughs> so like why, like we've experienced so much of the arc of technology from its super infancy to as it continues to progress where these young kids are like, Hey, that's negative. That's bad stuff. We've seen that's bad. Like we've just right. been like almost socialized into it over a really long period, you know? Yep. I think it's, it's very interesting too, because now I'm getting to the point where my students uh, have never lived during a time when there wasn't the internet. Right. So they were b born in the early 2000s. And essentially, since their living memory, there have been smartphones. So probably when they were six or seven uh, or maybe five, uh, smartphones were in their parents' hands. So in the form of an iPhone or a, a Crackberry, as we used to call yes, them. Yes, I remember that. Uh, and, That's uh, foreshadowing, man. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You're on it all the time, you know? Yeah, that was. And uh, we thought those were bad. Yeah. Um, I love my Blackberry, though, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was it was quite it was it was kind of like the device from the future, kind of like the, the yeah, iPhone. But um, yeah, so they don't have that reference. And yeah. so that's something that's very interesting to me because they ask me things like, um, uh, well, you must have used Wikipedia when you were in college. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> no, I edited an encyclopedia. Yeah, <laughs> the library, actually. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I'm encouraged by this generation, but... Um, yeah. You know, our generation does have uh, it's it's good things, mm -hmm. um, but it has uh, uh, like I like like you pointed out, kind of uh, um, maybe haven't understood what it's like to live in this digital world. Yeah, and it's just a, it's just a different perspective. Like I've had guests who come on whose children tell them they don't like that their parents are always posting on Instagram and stuff. And they're always tweeting like the kids tell the parents, you shouldn't be doing that. It's bad for you. How crazy is that? That the right. kids want they or they say, I had this one lady, she said, please stop taking pictures of me, mom. I don't want my image out there. Right. Like, the mom is taking the pictures all the time. Like, it feel like it should be backwards, you know, like they should be safeguarding, not the kids. Right. I think the kids are smarter in this regard and they, yeah. and they hear things about uh, what has happened to other kids. 
Um, and uh, so I think that's a, that's a good thing. I think, uh, you know, you're exactly right. It's kind of our generation that's out there oversharing sometimes. Oversharing. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I never share anything like a picture or anything with my daughter because I don't know if she actually wants that. Right. Um, and she's only 10. And I, you know, what's the lasting legacy of that for that? Right. It's her life. I mean, if she's an adult, she does what she wants, you know, but like, is it my thing to be posting all this stuff? The other thing, right. like you said, the kids, like they're sharing stuff on Snapchat between each other. It's kind of like if you have a vacation picture of vacation, why don't you just share that with like people, you know, like you really know versus like just sharing it with a bunch of random people. It feels very attention seeking, validation seeking. A lot of this, stuff. the technology almost has created this addiction to validation. And right. please look at me, give me a, there's something deeply human about wanting to be desired by other people. Right. Yeah, and then maybe that's something with our kind of digital society is that yeah. we that's where we look toward uh, one of the things that I find disturbing. Uh, with my fellow faculty members is sometimes i'll get on an elevator with them and you know they're immediately on their phones. Yeah and i'm like well you know i'm here and uh, <laughs> i've also have this one of the reasons i've resisted ever getting an apple watch is i've had so many experiences where i'll be in a meeting with somebody and they'll be sitting here yeah. you know flicking at their watch and i'm like well why why am i in this meeting <laughs> why, yeah, why, why do i need to be here <laughs> dude i've had this with podcast guests it's starting to happen with podcast guests where i could tell because you can tell by the eyes their eye movement and they're on the computer, you can tell they're looking at other sites while you're asking a question or speaking to them. It's so obvious. Scott, it's so obvious. It's like, you're not even paying, you wanted to be on. Like, what is that <laughs> like? Right. And it's, as I see it happening more and more, and I'm like, this is a troubling trend, you know? Yep. And it's just that kind of dopamine response, right? Yeah. And we're all, we're all subject to that. I like Reddit and the, the awe and the idiots in cars uh, uh, videos, both of those I like. Well, I have to limit myself, yeah. right? So I get like 15 minutes at night and I get 15 minutes in the morning while I'm having my coffee. Yeah. And that's it, because otherwise I will spend two hours doing that. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so uh, we have to set up these boundaries and uh, there's a really good a book uh, by Kyle Newport, I'm sure that you're familiar with it called Deep Work. Yep. Uh, and that's that idea that we need to concentrate. How do we take the time to concentrate uh, in order to produce something that is a value? Because you know? are you going to sit there on your deathbed and think, oh, my goodness, you know, I scrolled a lot. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or hey you know i really had an impact on this student yeah. you know I, and i helped them when when things were down for them and i took the time and I, I wrote them a letter and i got them you know some help they needed you know uh, am i going to look back that on my deathbed at all that and i'd much rather do that so um yeah i think there's uh we need to consider you know that's another thing too it's just considering your own death what if it, what, what was the, this is the last day that you had? Yeah. Would you really want to have said that you spent it that way? <laughs> Scrolling your last day. Well, I scrolled a lot my last day. <laughs> right. I spent five hours on Instagram. Yeah. My last day <laughs> I on saw a lot of pictures. 
man, it was gratifying. You're like, what? <laughs> like, or did you go for an extra walk and you actually yeah. weren't on your phone and you 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 played with your puppy dog or, or yeah. with your loved ones? So um, I think we need to do more of that because, uh, you know, as you know, with being close to disasters and we just had a series of tornadoes that went through here and That's we didn't right. have that much damage in Missouri, but we had one where we had 110 people killed in Joplin, like uh, I think yeah. it was six or seven years ago. and. Um, you know, it's a, uh, uh, it can happen at any moment, right? So again, how do you, how do you, in the terms of students, has it gotten easier or harder or I don't know, maybe indifferent, like in working with students as they, as you continue to get a new crop of students and technology continues to advance, do you feel that technology is enhancing your work with students or maybe in the other way, it's a negative aspect? Hmm. That's, um, <clears throat> that's an interesting uh, question. I think overall, as far as education goes, my industry, it has had a negative effect. Mm. Because what we try to do is optimize for different metrics that will move us up in rankings. And some of those metrics, just like we talked about with measuring GDP versus yeah. Uh, average lifespan. Well, some of those metrics are the number of top people that we rejected. So if we can get really smart people to apply to our institution and then reject them, that makes us look like we're more elite. Right. Okay? And I'm on the other side that we should be getting as much education out there to as, as many people as possible. And so as a whole, I think uh, a lot of the technologies that are out there, some that are surveilling students when they are remote. So mm -hmm. like uh, there's Examity and Proctorio. Oh, really? So let's say you were my student and we were doing a, a synchronous class over Zoom. I might say, well, we're gonna take a test today. And so um, there's gonna be some person or an AI that you're gonna to connect to, and then you're gonna to have to show you know, your camera around, yeah. show them the room, all that kind of stuff. And then you're gonna have somebody that you don't know sitting there watching you taking the exam. Huh. And I absolutely refuse to uh, use this software for a couple of reasons. One, I think it's an invasion of privacy. Yeah. A lot of these students do not have an office to go to. Right. They have to do it in their home. Uh, secondly, and this has actually just been proven out with some data that came out about two months ago, the stress of having the system that you don't know how it works or if you're going to be accused of cheating or something, because there have been lots of cases of that, of students that weren't cheating that were accused of it, um, that stress actually has a very negative effect on your performance. Hmm. And I feel like as an instructor, um, I, I realize that's not true everywhere, but I'm generally paid pretty well. Yeah. And, you know, I should be able to design an exam that is appropriate for open book, open note, that still is going to provide an effective assessment yeah. of that student's performance. And if I am lazy and say, well, I'll just use the one I did from last time, except I'll get this a proctorio thing to monitor my students, well, maybe I should find a different job at yeah. that point. So. Wow, I had no clue any of this was being done. <laughs> I mean, yeah, an examination yeah. like kind of overlord in a sense, like a security yeah. system. So it's a, wow. a way to have your exams proctored. Yeah. 
that is through the computer uh, and it's monitoring those students. And wow. I would argue that uh, a good instructor should be able to come up with an assessment uh, that can be done open book, open note. Yeah. Um, uh, that still sees if the student can synthesize the information in a good way. And there's, you know, in, in yeah. that regard, some of the technology tools. So, for example, you can have students make videos. Yeah. You can have them make presentations. Uh, and then what's yeah. really cool is we have this thing called VoiceThread where I can go through and I can annotate with my voice. And I can say, hey, Darren, you really hit it here. This is fantastic the way you explained um, that present value. Oh, hey, you know, when you explain this part, it gets a little confusing. Yeah. You notice how you did this and then you did that, you know, maybe if you reverse the order. So I can actually annotate with video and audio now. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's some really interesting tools, but I'm worried that a lot of times these tools get used uh, as shortcuts, right? I you know, see. faculty are often overworked right, and we're, right, you know, we're under pressure and we, we want to move up in our rankings and that, that's the way we're, we're judged. So um, I think for me personally, I'm pretty selective. So I actually make my students take notes by hand. Oh, <laughs> good for paper. you, man. Good for you. I would do the same thing. <laughs> but we talk about why there's a brain connection there. Connect, and we talk exactly. about that and and we talk about why that's better than taking it on a computer and uh we talk about the first day so they don't just think i'm just old school but <laughs> um you know they fill in blanks i have play you know things for them to do in the notepad yeah um so i think you just have to be selecting the appropriate technology for the job yeah what role does the university or professors instructors what role do they play in and in teaching digital literacy to students? Well, I think we need to be doing that in all disciplines a lot more. And unfortunately, yeah. it varies to a high degree by the institution you're at. Okay. So I'm at what's called a Research One University, mm -hmm. an R1 University. Yeah, I yeah. think that's originally what they were called. There may be a different uh, typology now, but the um, emphasis is on research, right? Yeah. And not on teaching. Uh, I get to teach a lot of that kind of stuff in my classes because we're talking about business processes and technologies. And I would argue that in any area, whether you're in music or whether you're in fine arts, you should be talking about things like AI because it's going to affect your industry. Most definitely. And um, I think we do see some of the better work at teaching this done at state schools as well as other uh, smaller private institutions. Uh, we have one here in town, Columbia College, that's excellent, uh, that does a really good job. They're not a research uh, institution. They just focused only on teaching. Wow, that's awesome. I feel like it's one of those things like should be a must because there's such a rampant spread of information, whether it's misinformation or a good, inf there's just information more than, it's like when your students ask you about Wikipedia. Okay, you know how great that would have been back in the day, <laughs> like right. instead of like the whole process of having to go, it was harder to get information a lot longer ago. You really had to like, I mean, I remember going through book stacks and book stacks and trying to actually even find the right book was a chore. And right. then finding the information in that book was another layer of it. And, but there was a lot of work involved in that. And I feel like now everybody gets information like any random person get almost any information 
whether they know what to do with it, it's a whole other thing. But you know, right? Every it feels like this should be like a very big part of an education when you're even younger than college. It should be middle school, high school, all that stuff is a big part of the curriculum. Yeah, just understanding how to trust different sources. Yeah, how to use multiple sources, um, whether something. It, is credible or not we have these biases built into our decision making uh, if i want something to be true there's something called the confirmation bias where information that tells me that, that is true i will uh, take in and anything yeah. that tells me that's not true i will discount right? right and so we have to think about our biases and um, you know, one good exercise to ask yourself, well, if I, if I think that this is true, what piece of information would make me abandon that belief? Mm. Okay. Yes. And so now let's go hunting for that piece of information. Right. That's and, a good, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. So there are ways to combat our biases. Um, and uh, another one that I think students often have is uh, one called the survivorship bias oh, right man. so you see the people uh like mark zuckerberg that were successful that dropped out of harvard and oh. created their own business okay well you don't see the thousand other people that dropped out of harvard and are now you know wishing they hadn't right <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. their yeah. you know uh their business did not go as well and uh, there's lots of that with investing, I have a lot of students that are trying to invest in crypto and, and right. uh, these other more speculative assets that normally uh, you would say you'd only want a small percentage. Well, they're putting a lot of their money into it because they heard of some guy that did really well. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, you don't hear of the thousand other people <laughs> that bought some NFT and it went to zero. Right. Right. Yeah. So um, that's a big problem as well, when, especially in these things that are, seem really hyped, is to yeah. think about, okay, is this, is this really a great thing or am I just hearing the success stories? Yeah, no. it's true. I often think of like, I was fortunate, like a lot of people who have a lot of like maybe terminal degrees or higher education, you will see a research study and you can break it down. Like I can get a research study, I can read through it, look at the methodology and look at how, you know, how many people are in the study, you know, statistical analysis, like I know how to do that. But most of the people in my life have no clue about that. They read the abstract, they see the conclusion, they don't understand any of the others. Is this a meta-analysis, is it a longitudinal? They don't think about any of that stuff. Right. And while I learned that, I feel like it would be good for other people to learn that, not just because you're in a certain track of education, like it should be more universal because you could cherry pick stuff out of research studies, you know? Yeah. Well, and uh, as you also know, many of the things that are published are irreproducible. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they, in fact, you run the same study again and you'll get different results. Right. Exactly. And so uh, there was actually, uh, I think it was called the irre irreproducible um, study or something like that. It was mainly in psychology. Mm -hmm. And they find that there can be a lot of tainting of the uh, subjects. So if the subjects know that like, oh, Scott wants me to eat the cookie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> Or whatever yeah. it is, or he doesn't want me to eat the cookie. Yeah. 
but I'm saying, oh, it doesn't matter if you eat the cookie or not. <laughs> um, they will uh, skew toward a certain behavior. Yeah. And they found that in psychology, there's a lot of these papers that can are, are deeply flawed. Yeah. And you have to read the methodology and you have to understand that sometimes right. when they're talking about, oh, this showed a, uh, you know, this fold increase. Well, what scale is that? Yeah. It's kind of like my my doctor sometimes recommends statins. And I've, I really have decided I don't want to do that because right. when I look at those papers, it's like, okay, there's an increase uh of uh, survivability right. but it's so uh, if you compare within the study it looks large but if you compare it to the population in general it's very very small right and i'm like if i just walked an extra mile a day <laughs> i would probably do it <laughs> you know yeah most most definitely it's it's just things like that who funded the study you know it was this all these different questions that the general public is just eating information like on a regular basis they don't know the behind the scenes of it and i think it's it's important to question those things yeah and, and often if you're more in more of you're educated about things you often will have more questions but if you have no education you kind of like especially if you're distrustful of institutions you tend to fall into this very closed-minded sense about information like that's true. It has to be true. You know, you don't question it then. Right. And I, I heard something from Ryan Holiday, who's an mm -hmm. author, and he also has a YouTube channel, writes about stoicism. And it was very interesting about the idea that I don't have to have an opinion on that. Mm. Right. So nowadays, it seems like, especially in America, we all have to have an opinion about yeah. everything. Yeah. Well, I know about technology. I know about higher education, okay? And I know about a few other areas, sure. but I'm not an expert in, uh, you know, what should happen in the Middle East. Right. 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 And there's a lot of complicated things going on there. And I have friends on different sides of, you know, Israel versus Palestine right. and all this. I don't have to have an opinion about that. Yeah. Right. right. I, I shouldn't feel that I have to because I have no expertise in that area um i have no research knowledge anything else like that um same sort of thing with uh, a lot of things with the coronavirus you right. know as far as like uh the whether these patents should be extended or made public domain and all this well i don't know yeah i i don't have i haven't read on that i'm not an expert in this area maybe i don't need to have an opinion right right yeah. so just taking that choice and saying i don't have to have an opinion on everything you know i think that's a good point to make and it kind of goes to the technology is things like you don't have to like post about everything you're thinking right like i tell my daughter i'm like not everything you think has to come out of your mouth like because your kids that's what they do they just say everything that comes to mind and as a parent you're teaching the skill of this nuance of like when is this a good story or not do people think this is interesting or not is this something is this the timing or the place to bring up something. And I feel like sometimes technology has taken that away from us. And we're like, everything you think is, is interesting. You think that other people will think this hyper-documentation of your life is important to a lot of people for some odd reason, you know? Yeah, very ephemeral. We don't understand yeah. how ephemeral it is. Yeah. Right. So it's a, it's, there's, a lot to, there's a lot going on. This could be a huge 
like eight hour discussion, but we don't have that time. But <laughs> Scott, I really appreciate you coming back again and uh, arming people with some really good information. This deep fake stuff's pretty scary to me. I didn't know yeah. all the, the good stuff that could be done, but man, we got a long way to go if we're going to make it more make it more positive than the negative yep, aspect. I agree. And and I would just say to your listeners, you know, talk about this with your family. Think about yeah. these scams. You know, my mom gets these dear grandma scams all the yeah. time where it's somebody trying to scam her. Um, you know, look out for those, uh, especially older people that are more vulnerable to this in your families. Uh, and, uh, you know, that would be a great gift for uh, yeah. the new year for them if you if you help them figure that out. Most definitely. Uh, Scott, thank you so much for being thank on. Thank you. Happy holidays, man. Have a good holiday. You too. All right. Do you know the risk factors for type 2 diabetes? Or what makes it more likely you or someone in your life might have the disease? With type 2 diabetes playing a growing role in the lives of so many, you need to know. In Project Power, a community program from the American Diabetes Association is here to help. Take our risk test today at diabetes.org slash Project Power. You can avoid the risks of type 2. Project Power will help. Next time someone needs to send you money, tell them to use Zelle. With Zelle, the money goes straight into your bank account, and it typically only takes minutes between enrolled users. And even if the sender uses a different U.S. bank, it still works. Plus, Zelle is already in over 1,600 banking apps, so you probably won't have to download another one. By the way, make sure the sender has your correct U.S. mobile number or email address so the money goes to the right place. Look for Zelle in your banking app today.